In high school, a friend of mine were hanging out once when his dad asked us to do a chore for him. It was a paid chore. He said, if you go to the backyard and get rid of that bush, I'll pay you each 20 bucks. Well, 20 bucks to a high school, I mean, that's 20 bucks. How, how hard could it be, right? So we go out there and he said, you know, the tools are all in the garage, you know, just do what it takes, get rid of it. So it wasn't a small bush, it was a big bush, about my height, you know, four feet wide or so, a big bush. But our plan, what we decided to do, uh, he got the saw out, I kind of leaned the bush over, put all my weight on it, we just started sawing at the, right there at the stump, right at the ground. Well, he got tired, we switched, and you know, within 20 to 30 minutes, we were done. We had that thing on the ground, and, and we were trying to do a nice thing, we we decided we would just cut it up into bits. We went ahead and bagged it. And, and we walked in after 30 minutes, you know, like conquering warriors. We, we just did the job. And now we would like to be paid. And his dad kind of looked up and he said, you already done? Well, yeah, obviously. We're big, strong 17-year-olds. And he said, you dug the roots out and everything? And we said, no, we didn't do that. And so we went back out there, this time with shovels, and what we thought would be a 20-minute job turned into a two-hour job, with a hole ending up four feet by four feet, three feet down, and we definitely, he made us earn our money. But what we learned that day was an important lesson, that if you don't get the root, you don't solve the problem. It takes dealing with the root to solve the problem. So my name is Cale Courtright. I'm the spiritual formation minister here at Crosspoint, and no one has ever taken me jet skiing, but <laughs> there's still time, so. <laughs> okay, now I'm just thinking about jet skiing. Anyways, not this afternoon, though, because this afternoon we have our Summer of Connections at the movie and we hope that you can join us if you don't already have plans to. Uh, if you're one of our guests here today, we're especially glad that you are with us here. Um, it's our honor that you are here uh, to worship with us today. And if you're looking for a church home, we hope that you have found one. We hope that you have sensed the feeling of family that we have here, because this truly is a family. This month, we are going through a series called Words to Live By, and it's on the Sermon on the Mount. And whenever I went to think about preaching for this month, I thought, what better than the Sermon on the Mount? And I would say, in all of Scripture, it is the most important three chapters in all of Scripture. Because what you have here are three chapters where Jesus teaches, and that's all that happens. And if we are to be disciples of Jesus, what better place to know and let to wash over our lives and to live with? And last week we started this teaching and we talked about how what, Moses, what Matthew is trying to do is paint Jesus as the new Moses. He, he shows him sitting in the posture of Moses. He says he ascends the mountain in chapter 5 and in, at, the end of, at the beginning of chapter 8 it says that he descends the mountain. This is language that's coming straight out of Exodus. That Moses was good, he is a Jewish hero, but Jesus is better. Jesus comes down from the mountain, and when he does so, he has given his law. He has given his way of life for his followers. And so we want to be those kind of people. 
that are living with that, that are following that. So what we challenged um, us to last week was to spend time every day this month reading the Sermon on the Mount. And if you didn't get that done this week, that's okay. Let's start today. It'll take you about 10 minutes. Uh, If you listen to it through your app, it'll take about 14 minutes, but we have 15 minutes to give to this. I know that we do. We can find the time. And again, if we want to be his disciples, what better place to know? What better place uh, in Scripture to let wash over us? And last week we started at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. And at the end, Jesus points back to this teaching and he says, Now that you've heard it, what will you do? What will your choice be? If you're wise, you will listen to my words. But if you're a fool, you will not. And if you haven't been reading the Sermon on the Mount, today will be the first time that you get to hear a little bit about what Jesus is teaching on. Before we dive into our passage today, will you please join me in prayer? Father God, I thank you for this time. I thank you for this church family, God. I thank you for your words uh, from Matthew here, God, and your teaching from your son. And I ask that these words will just pour into us, God, and that we will be made new and that we will live a life of faithfulness to you, God. I ask that these words are not my own, but they are yours. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Jesus starts, uh, we're going to start in Matthew chapter 5, but where Jesus starts is a teaching on anger. And he, he reiterates the words of Moses that says, you should not murder, but Jesus adds, uh, but you also should not be angry with your brother. He's famous in this passage for, you have heard it said. And what he does is he then gives a message from Moses, but then Jesus goes further. He gets to the roots. He gets to the heart of the matter. It's not enough for Jesus not to murder. He doesn't want you to live in anger towards your brother either. And like that, this is where our passage comes today. So Matthew chapter 5, starting verse 27. You've heard the commandment that says, you must not commit adultery. But I say, anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So even if your eye, so if your eye, even your good eye, causes you to lust, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your hand, even your stronger hand, causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. So after I read this and I was thinking about my story uh, about the roots from the bush, I also went, um, because it's in the name, I went and looked up a root canal. And I googled it and I hit image. Don't do it. Um, (laughs) And I've never, I don't say this to, to boast, but I've never had a root canal, so I didn't know exactly what it was. But from my understanding, Dennis in the audience, just bear with me if I get this wrong, um, but my understanding is that it's, the tooth can look okay. It can look all right. It's, but the root has been infected, and you have to go and deal with the root. Because even if everything looks okay, if you don't deal with the root, if you don't deal with the heart of the matter, then you didn't solve anything. So that's what Jesus does here. He doesn't disagree with Moses. He's not overturning Moses' teaching. He definitely does not want his followers committing adultery. Let me say that again. Jesus definitely does not want his followers committing adultery. But what he does is he takes that teaching a step further. Because he isn't looking for the kind of righteousness that is just in action. He's looking for heart transformation. 
You don't become righteous by, not, by just not doing things. It's by letting Jesus, letting God, come into your life and fully transform you. And that is what Jesus is looking to do here. Because what he knows is that we need to transform our heart. Because our hearts are connected to our brain. And our brain is where we make commitment. We want to make a commitment to God, but in order to do that, our hearts also have to be transformed. So this teaching from Jesus, though, happened a little over 2,000 years ago. And so when we read it just now, you probably thought, well, that, we've already done away with that problem. Those problems don't exist anymore today. Did any, no one thought that? Because we know when we read this that these issues are timeless. These teachings are timeless. And that we know that lust, while an issue there, is also an issue today. And I can't say it definitively, but I would guess that our problems with lust today are at least as great as they were in the time of Jesus. And so I want to help us understand that a little bit today and paint a picture of that today. So I thought we would start with, what is lust? And lust is defined as a strong feeling of sexual desire. But I think to describe it better, I I would describe it like this. Lust is looking at someone else and not seeing a person, but seeing an object. Now, we know that things are supposed to be used, not loved, while people are supposed to be loved and not used. And too many times we get those cross, don't we, where we love our things and we treat others as objects. Lust is when we do that. It's when we don't treat, we don't see someone else as a person, we see them as an object of our desire. It's selfishness at its root, that we take another person and rather give them the dignity that they have because they are created in the image of God, we take them and we say, now you are mine for my pleasure. That's what lust is. And Jesus is saying, for my followers, you are not going to treat people that way. The way you treat people is that you give them the dignity that I have bestowed upon them because they are created in my image. So that's who we want to be. Now Jesus does something here. And like I said, this is a timeless teaching. And these, these are old issues, dealing with, them, dealing with them then and today. But they are a little different today. And specifically, what I want to do is to address a little bit of the problem of lust and, has it, and as it has to do with pornography today. Pornography has been around our world for a long time, but there are different barriers to it today. More specifically, there are a lack of barriers to it today. You know, before, you might have to get in your car and you might have to drive to the store and you might have to get out in front of that store where people could see you. You had to take out your wallet and you had to buy and you had to go home. But now, probably almost all of us in here walk around with a device in our pocket that can give you anything you want in the world. So the barriers have been almost completely removed. And so these are some stats that I want to give you today. These are all from the Barna Group, which is a Christian research institution. And they did a huge study that they released in spring of 2016. So here's a few things that they found one in three Americans seek porn, seek pornography at least once every month. One in three Americans. A lot of their, their survey was done uh, with young adults and teenagers, and so they define that this way. Um, 
Young adults, they define as 20 to 24, teenagers 13 to 19. But 54% of adults, those of us 25 and older, say that viewing pornography is wrong, whereas only 32% of our young adults and teens say that viewing pornography is wrong. So there's definitely been a shift in our thinking over the course of a, of a few generations. 71% of young adults, which again is 20 to 24-year-olds, come across pornography once a month, whether they are seeking it or not. Whereas 50% of our teens say the same thing. The industry is very good about getting in front of our, front of our young people. Whether they seek it or not, they are going to see it. And this is, again goes to show the shift in our thinking. When young adults and teens are, were surveyed, 56% of them said not recycling is morally wrong, whereas only 32% of them said viewing pornography is wrong. And I'll say, we recycle. I love recycling. We're, but there is a, a difference there. And church, can we be real for a second? If one in three Americans surveyed are tempted with this, let's not act like it's not in the room. And I don't say that for any shame. Because everyone that walked in this room today is struggling with sin. Every one of us in here. We're all in need of the grace and mercy and forgiveness of Jesus Christ. So I don't bring that up to shame anyone, but as this is the community of Christ, and, and what God has done in us, we can be real about that. We can be honest with what we are dealing with, because we know who we have in Jesus. So I don't say it to shame anyone, but so that we can be real as a church family. Parents, I also want you to think about a couple of those stats that we just saw. Whether your kids seek it or not, they are going to one day see these things. And their thinking on it is a little bit different than the way you think about it. And the question for parents is, is what kind of relationship will I have with my kids when they do see this? Because questions will arise. Will they go to a friend? Will they go to Google? Will they know They can get any answer to any question they have. Or will they come to you, parents? I have a five-year-old, and I know that the day is coming a lot quicker than I thought. A lot quicker than the day came for me. Because ages are getting younger and younger when they encounter it. So what kind of relationship will you have with your kids? How will you make sure that they come to you rather than go somewhere else? You need to be open and honest with them about where you've been at age-appropriate times. You need to be willing to be vulnerable with your kids so that they come to you rather than go somewhere else. I want to go back to the text for a second, if you have your Bible open, and talk about a couple of things that Jesus says here. In this verse, Jesus addresses men. And there's a few reasons for that. Culturally, men could commit adultery and pretty much get away without any form of punishment. Whereas in his day and age, women could not. They might be subject to death immediately. So when Jesus teaches this, it's natural that he teaches it to the men. That is where the teaching needs to lie. But as I said, this is a timeless teaching, and this is for all people. Because the underlying issue is that Jesus is asking is, will you strive for righteousness in every aspect of your life? That goes for everyone, and it spans this issue of lust. It goes for every temptation that there is. Will you strive for righteousness? But I also want to point out that what Jesus doesn't say here is he doesn't put the responsibility on the other, 
He puts the responsibility on the individual to control your own desires and impulses. He doesn't, give, he doesn't let anyone off with an excuse, but he says, control your own desires. Jesus isn't against desire. He's not against sexuality. He is against desire that is spent wrongfully. He teaches control, not suppression of desire. My whole life has been spent in church. I've known lots of Christians throughout my life. And I've known some people who were what you might call spiritual giants. People that emulate Christ uh, better than I could ever. That you look up to as an example. And some of them are in this room. And I've met some people who they have a past where they didn't always follow God. But they do now and they own that. And they share that story with others as an encouragement. I've known lots of Christians in my life. But I have never met anyone that has gouged out an eye or cut off a hand. Has anybody? I would venture to say no, not intentionally. So what do we do with this teaching of Jesus? He comes and he says, this is what you ought to do. Does he mean it literally? Because if he does, nobody is following his words. I don't think he means it literally. I think what Jesus wants to tell us, I think he uses strong language so that we see the gravity, so we see the potential danger of sexual sin. And he demands transformation from his followers by metaphorically removing the source of the desire. He says, are you willing to do anything to follow me? Are you willing to do anything to rid your life of sin? It's the old cliche that an alcoholic shouldn't go to a bar. Jesus says, what will you do to remove yourself from sin? It could be difficult. In fact, it will be difficult. Some of you that might be struggling with pornography in here may need to give up a phone that can access the internet. Or you may need to give up home internet altogether. And you might even say, well, I work from home. I can't. And I think Jesus might say, would you be willing to go to the coffee shop every day so that you can live a life pure? So that you can pursue righteousness? Would you be willing to do that? Would you be willing to do anything? to do anything to rid your life of sin, because that is what Jesus is looking for. We used this quote last week, but I want to use it again because I think it's so good, is that G.K. Chesterton says, the Christian ideal has not been tried and found wanting, it has been found difficult and left untried. The Christian ideal has not been tried and found wanting, it has been difficult, it has been found difficult and left untried. And I'm sad that that's been true in my life more than once, that I've seen what Jesus asked for me and said, is it worth it? I don't know. It looks difficult. Will our life in Christ be difficult at times? Yes, it will be. The New Testament itself attests to this. And we see this in the early followers of Jesus, that it is difficult at times. But is it worth it? Yes. Living a life in Christ is worth it. My favorite candy in all the world is peanut M&M's. If they're around, I mean, you can bet that I'm going to eat them. Uh, we, we had a ritual as I was in grad school, my wife and I, that near the end of the semester when you'd have a lot of work left, a big paper due, she would get me one of those family-sized things of peanut M&M's. It was like my study aid and helped a lot. And so I'd get to the last week of school, and because I'm such a great student, I'd have lots of work left to do. And 
So I would sit down with the help of coffee and this, and I'd do all my work, you know, from like the hours of 11 to 2 a.m., and I'd just sit there and eat it. And over the course of three or four days, I would eat an entire bag of family-sized peanut M&Ms. You know, if Skittles are around, they're, they're not much of a temptation for me. Uh, they don't do a lot for me. Peanut M&Ms, on the other hand, I'll eat them in a heartbeat. Can't even tempt me with those things. So if I'm trying to live a healthier life, I can't have peanut M&Ms around because I can't live a healthier life with those in the house. And so what happens is I don't tell Savannah in those times, say, hey, make sure I don't eat those. No, what I say is don't buy them. (laughs) If you're going to live a healthier life, you can't just hope to go to the same pantry time after time and say, now this time I'll only choose the healthy food. No, you have to change how you buy. You have to go to great lengths. And I think Jesus' question for us today is, will you go to great lengths to rid your life of sin? Is it worth it? What will you be willing to do? And the better question that you might ask yourself is, what aren't you willing to do? Because we need to know that also. And so, as Christians, there's a few things that we need to do that I would suggest. The first thing we need to do is to embrace the practice of confession. Now, when I say confession, I don't mean Facebook. I don't mean going... What I do mean, though, that this is the church. As Brian mentioned, we are Christian brothers and sisters. What I do mean is finding a group, three to four or five people that you trust, that you can go to, people that you know will embrace you with love and grace and mercy, people that will walk with you, We need a practice of confession because we need to understand that we all have sin. And far too often we act like we don't. We act like the tooth that's okay, meanwhile the the root is rotting and is infected underneath. And when Jesus Christ established the church, it's a place we come in and we drop that facade. We let down that image of being perfect because we know that we aren't. There is only one who is. And he went to the cross for us. So we need to embrace this. James chapter 5 says about confession, James writes, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. I've done this far too often in life, but I do know that when I have confessed to others, I have found healing. That you go and you know that you have forgiveness from God, but it takes another believer hugging you and loving you and you start to become whole again. And that is what Jesus wants for us in our life. Diedrich Bonhoeffer about confession says this, when I go to another believer to confess, I'm going to God. Because something happens there in our relationship that we find healing from another, that we need others. But as Christian brothers and sisters, when we do confess to one another, it doesn't end there because the second practice we need is the practice of accountability. We have those few people in our life that we can count on that are going to walk with us rather than look down on us. But what they are going to do is they are going to walk with us. Confession isn't such that you hear it from someone and then walk away like it didn't happen, but that you are now joined in relationship with each other. You will walk with them. Bob Goff is a 
Christian writer and speaker, and he writes about being tethered to one another, being the person on the other end of that rope, that we need the other person that's going to hold us up, that, that we can't fall because we know they've got us. That's accountability. People who aren't too afraid to tell you when you may have, off, have stepped off the path. When the life in Christ has deviated a little bit, and the, someone who loves you enough to tell you the truth, that says, this is not how you're supposed to live. We are called to another way. We need those people in our life. Our church here has a great ministry. Every Tuesday night at 6.30, we have what's called Celebrate Recovery. That means right in there in the youth room, every Tuesday night at 6.30. This isn't for someone who's dealing with any huge problems. This is for all of us that's trying to become a disciple and live a fully righteous life in God. So if you have things, that is a great resource for you. People who will love you and surround you and comfort you in love, not in judgment, not in shame. So that may be a place that we need, that you need to be. Relationships that provide accountability take time. They're not going to be someone you just met. But as Christians, brothers and sisters, that's who we strive to be. And the third practice that we need is we need good practices of spiritual disciplines. It's like your mom used to say, you know, what goes in must come out. If you want to be healthier, you don't put peanut M&Ms in. You put, you know, fruits and vegetables well, as Christians, we em- embrace spiritual disciplines, daily practices of prayer, of scripture reading. And if your temptation does lie in something like pornography or anything that deals with self-control, uh, a minister told me once what he always suggests is fasting, which we don't do enough of. Because He says if you can't control your appetite, you're not going to be able to control anything else. So that's where you start. So for many of us, if you're anything like me, it's that we need a better habits, we need better spiritual disciplines. Because we need to be pouring in God's grace into our lives. As Christians, we need confession, we need accountability, and we need better spiritual disciplines. But I want to reiterate, nobody walked in here today without sin. We walked in here today because we know that there is one who can rid us of all sin. So wherever you came today, we want to embrace you and to walk with you. I'm going to invite Brad and the praise team back up. And I want to ask for your forgiveness today. Because churches haven't always been great about this. We haven't always embraced with forgiveness and love and grace. But Crosspoint is trying to be a church that does that. We won't always be perfect. We don't want to meet you with shame or judgment. We want to meet you with open arms and a willingness to walk with you. That's who we are trying to be because we know that we are all sinful. That it is only because of the grace of Jesus Christ that we can find life in him. Our shepherds and their wives are going to be around the room during the singing of this song. They're a great place to start. Trustworthy people that will embrace you, that will greet you with love, and that will walk with you. If you have anything today, won't you come while we stand and sing?